Here's what we learned about the Miami Hurricanes in that loss to Texas A&M. You are Locked On Canes, your daily podcast on the Miami Hurricanes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Monday. I'm Alex Dono, your host. I'm a University of Miami alumnus, longtime South Florida sports radio vet and contributor to allhurricanes.com. And thank you so much for making Locked on Canes your first listen today, even after a tough loss. We're available free wherever you get your podcasts and available free on YouTube. I uh, hope you guys, like I did, have got a chance to go back and watch the game a second time or at least speed through it for a second time because I always find I can learn a lot more uh, in a rewatch when I already know what the score is going to be and I can take my emotions out of it and make more of a critical analysis of the game. And in a lot of ways, um, you know, I'm not a big moral victories guy, believe me, but in a lot of ways, I feel a little bit more encouraged after watching the game for a second time. Miami lost to Texas A&M 17 to nine on Saturday. Of course, the most disappointing thing was Five trips to the red zone, zero touchdowns, and that's zero touchdowns despite the fact that Miami got 27 first downs in the game. So here are the top four things that I learned about the Miami Hurricanes in that unsuccessful trip to College Station. And then a little bit later on, I'm going to read you guys' tweets as well because we threw it out there at Locked on Canes. But yeah, the number one thing that I learned about Miami is – This team still isn't mentally ready to win a game that big on the road in that kind of a spotlight on national TV. They're just not ready. And most of the mistakes that Miami made were either mental mistakes or execution mistakes. I feel a lot better physically than I do mentally. So if Miami wants to be a great team, they're not a great team right now. I believe they are and can be a good team, but they're not a great team yet. Great teams don't muff a punt like Tyreek Stevenson did, which basically gives seven free points to the opponent. Great teams don't miss two field goals the way that Miami did. One of them got blocked. Great teams certainly don't drop seven passes in a single game in a spot like that. Great teams don't commit costly penalties like the holding and the illegal formation, the illegal man downfield Miami had that derailed a red zone trip. Uh, Yeah, these are mental errors. The types of mental errors that have affected this team since long before Mario Cristobal showed up and all of his coaches. But unfortunately, not all of these demons have been exercised yet. So that's takeaway number one. Mentally, there are a lot of things to clean up. And I'm optimistic that a lot of these things are teachable and that hopefully they can practice a lot of these things out. Okay. Number two, physically. And this is a good one, by the way. Takeaway number two is a positive one. Physically, this team has made some massive improvements. That was evident on the first watch, even more evident on the second watch. We did an episode. I want to take you guys back in the time machine. Uh, A couple weeks ago, we did an episode. It was either on the Monday or the Tuesday after Miami's Bethune-Cookman win. Right. Uh, But, you know, there was a lot of sloppiness in that victory against an FCS team. We did an episode a couple weeks ago where we talked about how Miami can fix their defense. 
right? Remember, the pass rush was undisciplined. There were a lot of soft spots in the secondary. There was some poor tackling in that game. And then two weeks later, guys, the defense looks fixed, okay? Miami's defense, everything that we said Miami needed to do to improve the defense after that Bethune-Cookman game, that was all addressed and fixed against Texas A&M. That pass rush that was undisciplined two weeks ago, actually got more sacks against Texas A&M than they did against Bethune-Cookman. The tackling looked on point, and my guy Corey Flagg was excellent as he's been all season so far. Night and day on the tackling compared to last year or even last week, right? Because the tackling was even better against Texas A&M than it was against Southern Miss or against Bethune-Cookman. Miami's coverage in the defensive backfield looked disciplined and aggressive. DJ Ivy, how about that? DJ Ivy was a standout player. James Williams, less surprisingly, was a standout player. Those were two of the best players on the field in that defensive backfield. And I thought, game plan wise, and clearly these guys are being taught well, which goes from the coordinator on down to all the position coaches. I'm not forgetting about Charlie Strong and Jamila Dye. I give them a lot of credit as well. But Kevin Steele, Miami's defensive coordinator, I thought was the MVP of that coaching staff this past Saturday. Because not only did Miami execute on the field, but I thought from a play-calling standpoint, Coach Steele got everything right. So great physicality on the defense. And obviously there were more issues with the offense. But if I'm going to stick with the positives, Miami's offensive line has made stunning improvements throughout this season. Because this was the big test, right? We saw a lot of good out of the O-line against an FCS opponent week one against a Sunbelt opponent week two. How were they going to do against, uh, on paper, one of the better defensive lines in the country? Because on paper, Texas A&M has that with the talent they have. Are they going to be able to hold up physically? The answer was yes. Zero sacks given up. That's number one. Not a whole lot of pressures given up. So Tyler Van Dyke was only pressured eight times. And against that defensive line, that's really impressive. He was only forced to scramble on three of his 41 passing attempts. Again, that was really good work by the offensive line. And these guys seem to really enjoy run blocking, which was something they were very poor at last year. Um, but this season, they're they're really doing a good job getting to that second level. Uh, they opened up quality running lanes. They helped Miami rush for over 175 yards as a team. That was great work by the O-line. And, yeah, I'm really encouraged by what I saw physically from the entire defense and what I saw physically from the offensive line. And I'll throw the running backs in there as well because uh, Franklin uh, – well, I wish we'd seen more from Franklin, actually. We'll get to him. But Parrish and Rooster had some good plays in the game. And, hey, the foundations – of great running teams, of great teams, period. The foundation of great football teams are built at the line of scrimmage. And Miami is well on their way on both sides of the football. The defensive line rotated nicely. That was another thing Kevin Steele did very well was his constant rotation. The offensive line looked really good. So line of scrimmage, Miami is well on their way. And, hey, if anyone out there, and I know a lot of us are disappointed you know, losing the game, especially having it down to one possession uh, and all the mental mistakes. But anyone who's pissed about losing this game needs to also respect the fact that big-time progress is being made in the trenches. And again, 
Great teams always have great trench play. That is consistent all around the country. You can't have a great team, and I don't believe Miami is a great team yet, but you can't build a great team if you aren't strong in the trenches. So that's my takeaway number two on the physicality. That's a really positive one. We'll get into the weeds a little bit here again for number three. Yeah, this offense is still a work in progress, all right? Um, everyone's talking about play calling. I do think that Josh Gaddis needs to be a lot more aggressive in the red zone. And we're going to talk to Josh today, right? Today, a little bit later on Monday, Cristobal, Gaddis, and Kevin Steele are all going to speak. And I'm sure Coach Gaddis will be asked, if not by somebody else, I will ask him uh, how he felt about his own play calling and execution in the red zone. Because, listen, his game plan, I thought, was fine anywhere outside the red zone. Miami looked prepared to run the football. I like the fact that they brought out some play action and, and RPO in this game. They looked like they were ready to exploit AM in similar ways that App State did, and Miami did have success running the football and moving the football. I'll repeat this. Miami did well enough outside the red zone to get 27 first downs in the game, and they outgained AM by well over 100 yards if you compare one offense to the other. But then inside the red zone, that's where things became problematic. And I can't blame this all on coaching. Of course, I can't blame it all on coaching because there were issues with execution as well. But the actual play calling then in the red zone, every pass was underneath. Um, I think you needed to be a little bit more bold to take some shots into the end zone. In fact, you know, maybe you uh, if this coaching staff was watching what the Miami Dolphins did yesterday in their brilliant comeback against the Baltimore Ravens and how aggressive Mike McDaniel and Tua Tonga Vailoa were taking shots into the end zone. Maybe you can learn a little bit uh, something from that. OK, um, you know, I also I mentioned this name earlier by mistake, but I'll mention it now on purpose. I believe that not using Thad Franklin inside the five-yard line or anywhere in the red zone, I believe that was a mistake. You got a 240-pound hammer in your running back rotation. That's where you need to use him. You need to use him inside the five. Franklin only got one carry in this game, period. It was late in the game, and I think it was you know in between the 40-yard uh, the lines, uh, you know, one carry for a loss of one yard. But I thought the time to use Thad, who'd been really good the last couple of weeks, if you're going to use him, use him inside the five-yard line. Use him to try to get in the end zone. Um, and, you know, so outside of outside of coaching, which was if anyone tries to blame everything in not scoring a touchdown in the game, if anyone tries to blame all of that on coaching, I think you've lost the plot, okay? I'm disappointed that we didn't see more consistency at wide receiver. Seven drops. Seven drops is inexcusable, okay? Mario Cristobal had this to say this morning on WQAM. He was on the Joe Rose Show. Quote, I'm going to be really pissed if we're not trying to catch 100 balls after each practice this week. The pain has to be real, he said. You have to work it into existence, into reality. Routine plays have to be converted, he says. Bottom line is you have to produce. Run the right routes catch the football, block when called upon. They know that. They're trying, but we certainly have a lot of work to do. And staying on that wide receiver tip, yeah, I think we came to find out something we probably already knew, so this maybe isn't something we learned. But, yeah, Xavier Restrepo, who didn't play and is not going to play for several weeks, he's a really important player. 
but a team like Miami should not miss one wide receiver this much. Okay. We had some moments in the game from receiver from Jacoby George. Nice to have him back. Keyshawn Smith, but nobody was creating separation guys. Nobody was creating separation. And that's why after watching the game a second time, I might've been a little harsh on my criticism for Tyler Van Dyke in yesterday's recap. Uh, because after the second watch, I think, there's probably more to blame on the receivers than on him because not only were there seven drops, there was no separation. Yet still, I'm not going to completely let TVD off the hook because he still missed some big throws. Um, even if you're not given a whole lot, if you want to show you're an elite quarterback, you have to take what is given to you. Tyler Van Dyke didn't have enough opportunities with open receivers, but the ones he did have didn't make the most of it. He didn't do anything remarkable in the game when we needed Tyler Van Dyke to be special to make up for, the, for those other deficiencies. So I feel a little bit better about Tyler after watching it a second time. But I'm not going to let it off the hook. I'm not going to let him off the hook. So, all right, guys, keep it locked because we have more takeaways. We're going to sum it up on the other side. And I'm also going to go to you guys on Twitter because you gave us what you learned about Miami from this loss to Texas A&M. You know what I learned? Well, I learned this actually several months ago that betonline.net is your number one source for all of your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football league developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including all of this week's games coming up. Miami has Middle Tennessee this week, hopefully a bounce-back game. You can get all the odds at BetOnline. It's your continued source for all your sporting wagering info, including live betting, esports, and scores the fastest and easiest way to check, in, to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including Major League Baseball, MMA, boxing, and golf. So head to their website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online, where the game starts. Thank you so much for making Locked on Canes your first listen today. We're available free wherever you get your podcasts and available free on YouTube. So, all right, my, my fourth and final big thing that I learned from Miami's 17 to nine loss at Texas A&M to sum it all up, my friends, it is a work in progress. I know Aggies fans are not going to be happy to hear me say this, and this is going to become, you know, a point of complaint from them because they did win the game, but I'm going to say, I'm going to say Miami beat themselves. <laughs> I'm going to say Miami beat themselves with mental mistakes, errors, and miscues because physically Physically, the Hurricanes are clearly closing the gap. This team will not be pushed around physically, and they will not give up. I believe the work they're doing in the weight room with Coach Feld and the way that they're getting pushed in that heat and humidity at the Green Tree practice fields every day, I believe it's paying big-time physical dividends. Um, because, honestly, Miami teams of the recent past go into a place like Texas A&M with over 107,000 people, 107-245 was the final attendance at Kyle Field. After that muffed punt, Miami teams of the past would have crumbled and would have ended up losing that game by three touchdowns. It would have turned into an avalanche after that. So I give this team credit for fighting. I give them credit for despite how poorly they executed in the red zone and all the mistakes and issues that they had to derail and defuse promising possessions, including missed kicks. Still, they got down to a final possession, down eight, with a chance with seconds left in the game to tie it and send it to overtime. 
there's there's a lot of positives to take away. I'm sorry. And I, I'm saying Miami is not there yet. They are not a great team. I did see that, you know, the new AP poll came out and you guys know how I feel about polls, like whatever. So Miami dropped all the way down to number 25. I, what do I care? I, it doesn't change your goals. It doesn't change what's in front of you. They did drop farther than I expected them to. I thought maybe they dropped to around number 20. They almost dropped out of the top 25. Doesn't matter. You have your entire ACC schedule in front of you. Um, you could, not saying this will happen, but if you can run the table, you go 11-1, and one, you could get a spot in the college football playoff. Every goal you have is still in front of you. If you start winning again and keep winning, the problem will take care of itself. I couldn't care less that Miami dropped down to number 25. It, it doesn't mean a lick to me. You lost the game. You lick your wounds. You get better. You move on, okay? Uh, Mario Cristobal summed it up after the game. Uh, this is what he said late Saturday night or early Sunday morning. He says, in terms of effort and toughness, I love it, he said. Now we have to get real. And real is that we've got to get better, he said. Got to go to work and look in the mirror and face reality. Mistakes are upsetting. It burns. And it needs to burn, he says. We've made some progress. We could have coached and played and executed better. So all of those things, my friends. So I put it out there on Twitter. And make sure you follow our show, by the way, at Locked on Canes. You follow us on Twitter, we will follow you back. We're giving away follows for free. And if you tweet us, there's a good chance we respond either on Twitter, because I'm on there a lot, or your tweet could even get read on the show as we're going to do some of these. So I tweeted out this morning from at Locked on Canes. What did you learn about the Miami Hurricanes against Texas A&M? Let me read some of the responses here. Troy says, I am skeptical of our passing game, and I thought that was going to be a strength of ours. We can win a lot of games with defense and our lines being good, but we can't be elite without Tyler Van Dyke and the passing game being on point. Yes, I agree with everything you said there. And I've also, I've noticed over the last couple of days, I'm not going to say this is the majority of fans. This is a, a minority, but it's an increasingly loud minority. I do see some people that are trying to bench Tyler Van Dyke for Jake Garcia, bringing up the idea that Garcia might just process and execute and get rid of the ball more quickly in this offense than TVD does. Um, that's not even a thought that I'm allowing to enter my head right now. Um, Tyler Van Dyke did a lot last season and in fall camp and spring, where in spring and fall camp, he was better than Jake Garcia. And I like Jake a lot, but Tyler Van Dyke, he earned this starting job. It wasn't strictly given to him on a silver platter. He earned this starting job this year. And I truly believe in giving your starting quarterback a chance to play through a little bit of adversity and bounce back. So listen, if, if he continues to struggle, then yeah, maybe there could come a time where you make the switch. I'm not ready to make that switch far from it, right? I want to give Tyler Van Dyke the opportunity, of course, this Saturday against Middle Tennessee, and then you got a bye week after that. You start ACC play against North Carolina the following week. Give Tyler Van Dyke an opportunity to play through that adversity and bounce back and get this passing game working again. So I'm nowhere, I'm nowhere near that right now. There's still a lot more that has to play out. Nick says, I learned that our receivers can't get enough separation to make TVD comfortable enough to throw it their way. Bingo! Also learn TVD is human and can make critical mistakes. Yes, 
Manny says, this is what he learned. They did not give up. Special teams and red zone offense needs to improve. A lot to learn from this game. Our guy Chill writes, I always smile when Chill enters the conversation. Same players unable to make a single play down the stretch against FSU are still on the roster. Unable to make plays when needed the most. I mean, yeah, it's not completely wrong there. Thank you, Chill. Uh, Mariano says, Mario Cristobal is very risk-averse, a concern as compared to Urban Meyer, Dabo Sweeney, and to a certain degree, Nick Saban. Even in our illustrious past, Jimmy and Erickson were pretty aggressive, he says. In modern college football, you've got to be willing to risk. Not sure he is. Um, and, and I hope that they, from a coaching philosophy standpoint, that they learn from that because there were plenty of times with the play calling in the red zone and the offensive philosophy. And obviously, Gaddis is the one calling the plays, okay? But I'm going to group Mario into it again because he's the CEO. It looked like Miami was playing not to lose instead of playing to win. Sometimes you have to take more risks and more shots when you're an underdog on the road. That's just the way you have to live on the edge a little bit more, I believe. Uh, William says two things. The O-line can dominate opposing defenses, just not consistently. Actually, I thought the O-line was pretty consistent. Uh, he says second is something we already knew. The tight ends are the number two wide receiver. No wide receiver has really stepped up to be that number two option. Yeah, and again, it's it's disappointing that Miami misks, misses. Misks. It's disappointing that Miami misses Restrepo as much as they do. Because when you, you know, it, it's freaking Miami. Like, you should have more options. And I, I respect how good Xavier Restrepo is. And if you didn't hear it, by the way, he's Tyler Van Dyke's roommate. They only reminded you of that 10,000 times on the broadcast. Miami should be able to have more guys step up when your top wide receiver is out. Jackie writes, uh, he learned that there's still a good amount of work to be done to turn this program around into a contender. And it's a valid question to ask if Tyler Van Dyke is a good fit in Josh Gaddis's system. Uh, yeah, I think that's something we're continuing to learn throughout the year. Um, and this is still a new system for Tyler. It's just one of the things that's a little bit unclear to me, and it's even more confusing after watching the game a second time, is um, I feel that even though, yeah, obviously Van Dyke, he did miss some plays, and he is partially to blame for this loss, no question. But after watching it a second time uh, and really watching the wide receivers and the lack of separation, it made me feel a little bit less bad about TVD's performance, but... No question. The offense was out of sync when they needed to be in sync to score touchdowns. Uh, Matt Hurst writes, he learned that Gaddis might be a problem. Uh, I'm going to hope that's not the case because how do you go from being the Broyles award winner one year, which is the award given to the top assistant coach in football, to then being a problem the next year? I'm, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, okay? I think Josh Gaddis is a heck of a football coach. I hope he's not a problem, all right? Uh, your personal Jesus writes to us, UM players still haven't learned how to win this kind of game. Coaches can only do so much, and there's work to do from them as well, but players have to make the plays, and when they needed just one play, they couldn't do it. Well said. Uh, Dave says, we belong. We just need to execute. I agree. STL Kane writes in, he learned that Rome wasn't built in a day. QB writes in, more tempo needed on offense. That's a great point, right? They were way... 
late fourth quarter when the clock was becoming their enemy, uh, they were milking the clock as if the scoreboard was reversed. I that that made me a little frustrated as a fan. They 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 needed more tempo late in the game. I completely agree with that. Uh, Jason says, truthfully, I learned that UM is a good team that has gotten better. However, they have a lot of work to do if they want to reach their goals. Great stuff, guys. You can follow us at Locked on Canes. Going to have some closing thoughts when we come back, including how this game affects Miami's recruiting because they had a big spotlight and a big opportunity. Is this going to help the class of 2023? Is it going to hurt? We'll talk about that next year on Locked on Canes. Thank you so much for making Locked on Canes your first listen today. Available free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey. Available free on YouTube. Subscribe and hit that thumbs up button. Uh, awesome. And for anybody's tweets that I didn't get a chance to read, sorry. I, I read a lot of them. We can uh, we can maybe read more throughout the week. Make sure you tweet us at Locked on Canes. So, okay, we talked about it a little bit last week. Anytime you're on national TV, you know, facing a big time, big name opponent, an SEC team on the road. Uh, a lot of recruits were at the game, who were, of course, taking Texas AM visits at the game. Um, every Miami recruit, I'm sure, was watching that game. What impact did this loss have on recruiting? Now, first thing I'm going to say is way too soon to say, okay? Obviously, not winning the game means you're not going to have an avalanche of flips that you take from other schools. Uh, and it's not going to turn into a tidal wave of momentum, right? If, if Miami had gone into College Station and blown the Aggies out, that's the type of performance where, hey, you're going to get some some of the guys we've been looking at, like the Innises and the Fletchers who are committed to Ohio State. People Miami's trying to flip, like Jurion Dickey or something, that, hey, maybe if you'd made a huge statement, went on the road, you could flip some of these players. Obviously, that didn't happen. Um, I don't think uh, with, with a game like that where, again, Miami was physically right there and it was a competitive game, I don't think you're going to lose anybody because of that game because it wasn't like a blowout or some unmitigating disaster. Uh, and I do take some encouragement because, honestly, I think if you're an offensive lineman like Samson Okunlola, who Miami is recruiting hard, five-star out of Massachusetts, um, now, Okun Lola, this is not the type of guy who's talking to a lot of media outlets and revealing secrets to what he's thinking. He keeps everything very close to the vest. So I don't have any comment from Okun Lola, but I've got to think that if you're a guy like Samson watching that game, you've got to be very encouraged about how Miami's offensive line plays, the type of nastiness and physicality they play with, and how they're coached. So if you're an offensive lineman losing that game, that probably helps your chances, maybe. Um, you know, I'm a little bit iffy on certain spots on the offense. Like, if you're a wide receiver, hopefully you see an opportunity to come in and pretty much immediately get playing time and impact because Miami's wide receiver group is really not that impressive. So if you're a wide receiver, you might be thinking, hey, if I go there, I can play right away. But then on the flip side, maybe if you're a wide receiver, you might be like, oh, I didn't really love the offensive game plan. So I, I think it sort of depends on your perspective on that. You know, I, I saw something on a message board because a lot of Hurricanes made the Hurricanes fans made the trip to Texas A&M. I saw a Canes fan on a message board say that they were actually sitting a row behind Hakeem Williams and his family, and that uh, that his mom apparently was cheering for Texas A&M in the game. That's what he said, and like I don't know, he doesn't really feel like Hakeem is going to come to Miami. I don't feel like that either. I. 
You know, I know Miami's been in the mix for Hakeem, who's a big physical wide receiver out of Fort Lauderdale. But um, I've I've heard throughout the process that he actually wants to go somewhere else to play college ball, that he wants to experience living somewhere else. And uh, it sounds to me like it's going to be either Texas A&M or Florida State for him. Um, so, yeah, I, I, th I think that's where we're at. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of recruits watching the game, hopefully they were encouraged. Hopefully they were encouraged by the fact that Miami physically did belong on that field. There was a lot of good stuff there. But, you know, mental execution, stupid mistakes. Miami shot themselves in the foot way, 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 way too many times. But I'm, I'm hoping that recruits who were watching that game can see, you know what, this team – looks to be well-coached, they look to be prepared, and they look like physically a lot of the same players from last year look physically stronger and better this year than they did a year ago. So I take encouragement in that. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your day to listen to this and to watch this. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, all the audio channels. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. We've been growing so much on YouTube, and I thank you guys every single day for that. And we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thank you for making us your first listen. And make sure you get more on the ACC by making Locked On ACC your second listen every day. Because host Candace Cooper and the local experts of Locked On, I am one of them. I'm on the show every Thursday. Take you across the ACC in 30 minutes. Thank you guys so much for listening to Locked On Canes. We are part of the awesome Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day.